Happy Father's Day to all the fathers in the room. We love you. We appreciate you. The appreciation when it comes to the clapping wasn't as loud as Mother's Day. Like that, that was kind of like a half-hearted, yeah, we love you, Dad. We love you. No. There's something about being a mom, right? Uh, I, won't, I won't chase that. And it's Father's Day. God is so good, so thankful for my dad. I know you're thankful for your dad. Even if you didn't have a good dad growing up, maybe your earthly father was a no good, just a poor example of what a godly father is called to be. You have a perfect heavenly father. And he loves you with a radical love, an unconditional love. No one could ever love you more. And God has a, a beautiful and a bright plan for your life. And he's given you so many promises. All of the promises that we have are yes in Christ. Amen. And so God is good. And so he is worthy of our worship today. Um, happy Father's Day. So we are going to be looking at a Father's Day message. I didn't want to leave you out since we did one on Mother's Day. And so we're going to be talking about godly priorities for every father. And really, I had a long list of priorities that I kind of wanted to touch on, but I really kind of boiled it down to the two big ones, right? And so this is a word for dads, but really this is a word that is applicable for us, whether you're a child or a teenager or uh, uh, you're, you're a mom, um, this word is, is for us all. I want us to, I want to encourage us to, to pursue hard after God. I want, I want to encourage the men in this room to, to step up and be the men. Be the man that God has called you to be. You know, we live in a culture where, you know, men are kind of made fun of, kind of put down, right? And the Bible elevates the, the status, the leadership. Uh, the masculinity of, of a man, and, and God calls us to be spiritual leaders. You know, in our, in our culture, uh, one of the mantras of our culture is, is love things. Be enamored with things, right? Um, be a workaholic. Live for the, for the next purchase. Be wrapped up in the things of this world. Um, have your heart anchored to the temporal things, and and buy and hoard and store and consume and, and live a very materialistic lifestyle. Our culture also says love things and use people. You know, use people, take advantage of people. And then our culture says, at the end of the day, don't love God. Don't love God, don't know God, reject God. But God's word is very clear. God calls us to, to love him with this supreme, complete love. God calls us to serve other people. And God calls us to use things in that order. Here's godly priority number one. If you're taking notes, love God with all of your being. Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 to 40. Jesus has an encounter with the religious uh, leaders, specifically a lawyer. And it says, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, <clears throat> you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. <clears throat> and this is the great and first commandment. 
And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. You know, Jesus is the expert on all things pertaining to life and what true love is really all about. He tells us what the grand purpose of life ultimately is about. Life, according to Jesus, is about knowing and loving God and loving other people. But, but some, at some point along the way, we, we've kind of missed that message. You know, we, we buy into the rat race and, and we get uh, enamored with things and um, life just gets busy and we get distracted on other things. You know, life is not about your personal success. Life is not about having the nicest toys or the most friends on social media or, or, or building that big fat retirement portfolio. And then when you die, you leave it to the next generation and there's a possibility they may squander it all. It may cause them to walk away from God. You know, life is not about finding ultimate significance in other things outside of our relationship with God. Jesus says the grand purpose of life is knowing the God of this universe, loving the God of this universe and loving your neighbor as yourself. This famous passage is called the great commandment. Love God with all, not just some, not just a part, all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind. In other gospel accounts, it, it adds the word, love God with all of your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. How many, how many people in this room, you, you love yourself? You take care of yourself, right? You love yourself, you take care of yourself. Well, Jesus says, listen, love other people the way you love yourself. How you treat yourself, how you tend and care for yourself. Love those people the way you love yourself. We were designed, we were hardwired, we were built to be in a vertical relationship with the God of this universe. God didn't create all of this and just walk away. He created it, systems and all, planets, galaxies, the Milky Way galaxy, earth as we know it. He created the hills and the mountains and the oceans and the stars. He, he dotted the, 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 the galaxies with billions, trillions of stars. And God did all of this self-disclosed revelation so that we would know him, so that we would know him through the pages of scripture, his personal love letter to humanity. God broke into humanity by sending his son Jesus. Jesus paved the way so that we can know this God, this God that is personal. Yes, this God that is, he is, um, he is transcendent. I mean, he's big, he's, 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 uh, he's awesome. He's, he's outside of, of creation, but yet he's, he's imminent. He's, he's near to the brokenhearted. We were designed, built by God, to be in a relationship with God and to be in healthy relationships with other people. The greatest measurement of your Christian faith, let me put it another way. A mark of saving faith, whether or not you know God, is it comes down to two things. Do you have a love for him and do you have a love for other people? 
See, a lot of people, they want to point to certain works. Well, will this work and that work, that's proof. Well, no, Jesus is saying, he, he boils it down to two statements. Do you love God? Do you love me? And do you love other people? This is a, a measurement of authentic, genuine, saving faith. Now, let me set the stage for you. Let me set the stage for Jesus' words here on the great commandment. Earlier that day, the, the, the Sadducees, they were, they were called the Sadducees because they were sad to see. Okay, all right. Uh, they were the theological liberals of the day. Anybody want to be a liberal? If you want to be a liberal, be a Pharisee. Be a Sadducee, right? They were liberals. They, they came to Jesus with some silly question about the resurrection. They didn't come seeking an answer. They were always coming to Jesus to make fun of him, to mock him, to twist him, to test him. These political and religious liberals, they didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in the afterlife. And so their, their aim was to discredit Jesus, to trap him in his words. And, and uh, so it moved the crowds to to always come at Jesus, always have beef with him. And, and, but their question backfired. Jesus' answer was so profound. Those who were listening uh, at a distance, uh, they were astonished at his teaching. He silenced the Sadducees, but that didn't keep their religious rivals, the Pharisees, from jumping into the debate. Here's what happens. A lawyer is on the scene, an expert trained in Jewish religious law. He comes to Jesus with another question to test Jesus. And, and I can almost kind of envision, you know, imagine these religious, uh, devout, liberal Pharisees. They huddled up, snickering with pride, saying amongst themselves, he can silence the Sadducees, but he won't silence us. The lawyer said, teacher, referring to Jesus, which is the great commandment in law? The, the gospel uh, Mark's gospel account says, which commandment is the most important of all? And that's a great question. What's the most important commandment according to God's word? Here's what Jesus does. He goes beyond the scope of the question and he quotes Deuteronomy and Leviticus. He quotes Deuteronomy, he quotes Leviticus, he takes 613 Old Testament commandments and he boils it down to two. He gives us his top two list to live by. Jesus said, you wanna know which commandment is most important of all? It's the 11th commandment. And now, if you were here last week, we talked about the 11th commandment in John chapter 13, verse 34. Jesus said, the night before he was betrayed, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. These religious zealots, they were well-versed in the law, the, the Old Testament commandments, the Decalogue, all of these are, are encapsulated in this new commandment, which is really not new. This is what Jesus is saying. So what is the greatest and most important thing that you can do in this life? Here's the answer. Love God completely. Think about that for a moment. If God commands us to love him, then he's gonna give us the capacity to love him. If God says, I want you to love me, then it's doable. God made you and I with a soul. 
you were not an accident. When you were born, when you were conceived, when, 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 you, when you took your very first breath, you were made by the creator of the universe. You're not an accident. He didn't waste his time, his thought, his energy in creating you. He loved you. You are worthy. You are valuable. You were made with a soul, which means you were made to last forever. A soul is going to last forever. I mean, heaven tells us. The Bible tells us that in heaven, we're going to get new glorified bodies. Anybody looking forward to that day? A new glorified body? I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to it, man. New glorified body with a soul and built for eternity, built to be with Jesus for forever, for all eternity. God commands us to love him. God made you to love him. That's a beautiful thing. That's a precious gift that you can give to your kids. You can live the life that God intended you to live. God wants you to live for him. God wants you to love him. And when you do that, that spills out that spills out from your life. It impacts the next generation. You leave a legacy of faith to your kids and to your great-grandkids. This is what God calls us to do. Now, remember how I said earlier that Jesus quotes Deuteronomy. Look at Deuteronomy 6, 4-7, classic passage. Not gonna spend much time on it because we, we walked through it on Mother's Day, but let me just read it for you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That's the Shema. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. So Jesus commands us to love. You can't command a feeling but you can command a choice. Jesus is calling us to make a choice. He's calling us to make a, a, a decision, to make a commitment, to choose Christ, to choose to be in love with God. You know, love is, is a choice, not a feeling. You know, you don't stay married because you have the same feeling every day. Now, maybe, now, I do. I don't know about you, but I do. I mean, 24-7, I get that warm, fuzzy feeling, right, all the time. Oh, and by the way, we've never been in an argument. We've never been in an argument. Um, no, I'm joking. Love is a choice. It's not a feeling. You stay married not because you feel like it, because let's just be honest, sometimes you don't feel like it. Okay, there's like five honest people in the room. You got to help me out here. Listen, it's Father's Day, gentlemen. You're safe. You're good. You're going to be all right, right? She, she, okay, so love is a, is a choice. You, you choose to love, just like you choose to stay married. You choose to be faithful. You choose to love your spouse. You choose to forgive. You choose to keep covenant. What do I mean by that? You choose to display the gospel in your marriage. As you're faithful, you're displaying the gospel. As you're loving, you're displaying the gospel. As, as you're extending grace, you're displaying the gospel. If you refuse to self-eject, you refuse to abandon, you, you refuse to be unfaithful and cheat, you are displaying the gospel. The gospel is on the line when it comes to your marriage. 
The gospel is also on the line when it comes to parenting. And, and, and man, the gospel is on the line as we, as we father our kids, as we lead our, our family spiritually. Deuteronomy 6 is a classic passage about handing off our faith to the next generation, passing down our faith. There's a progression here. I want you to see it. You shall love the Lord your God. God says, I'm going I'm to begin with you. You know what? We're going to get to your kids, but let me start with you. Hey, Dad, let me start with you. Love me. Love me completely, supremely. Love me with all of your heart, soul, and, and might. And then, so the foundation has to be laid. Now, maybe you might be like, I just don't know where I'm at spiritually. I'm, I'm seeking, I'm searching, I'm, I'm, I'm open to Christianity. Well, I would say, here, here would be my challenge. My challenge to you would be to get your face into this book and see the wonderful gospel truth, to see the, the wonderful beauty of Jesus and his ministry and the gift and what he's done for you on the cross. There's no other story like it. There's no greater story than the story of the God of the universe who sent his son, Jesus, to be a sinless savior who died for our sins. And he was, he experienced the, a horrific, painful, um, agonizing death, death by asphyxiation, suffocation. Six hours he was nailed on the cross. And prior to that, he was rejected by, by the people. He was betrayed by Judas. Uh, he was a victim of uh, the Roman government. He was innocent, but yet tried as guilty, and all the people knew it. But, it, but yet it's the greatest story ever. It's a story of a God penetrating the lostness of our world and, and, and coming to earth so that we might know him. We might be in relationship with him. The foundation has to start with you. And then it moves to your kids. Notice, notice it talks about Moses says, teach them diligently to your children. The idea here is, 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 like, a, is like a chisel. As you're teaching your kids, you're chiseling values into their life. You're, you're diligent about passing your faith on to your kids and teaching them about the God of the Bible. Here's godly priority number two. Lead your family spiritually. Lead your family spiritually. God places the leadership role on the shoulders of the husband. I'm going to be really direct and really honest here. There's a lot of women that are they're exercising spiritual leadership because their husband is not stepping up to the plate and doing what God has called him to do. And so therefore, women are stepping up to the plate and being the leader, the spiritual leader in the home. God places the burden and the weight of spiritual leadership on your shoulders as a father, as a husband. Ephesians 5, 23 to 25 says this, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Amen for that, right? He's our savior, our sweet savior, 
our sinless Savior who, who came and who died for us. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So God not only places the, the weight, I mean the massive weight of spiritual leadership upon your shoulders as a man, but God has clearly defined distinct roles in the family. There's a distinct role for a husband and there's a distinct role for a wife. And I'm gonna touch on it uh, briefly and then we're gonna transition out. First Corinthians chapter 11, verse three, the apostle Paul Writing to the church of Corinth, he says this, but I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. So what is the, what is the Bible telling us? Before I get some ladies writing me some hate email this week, and they get stalled, you don't get it bent out of shape yet. I'm in your corner. I'm about to speak for you, okay? The man is the head of a woman... That's the first thing. The second thing is Christ is the head of man. Oh, now, now we see some authority, right? Headship here. But it says God is the head of Christ. So men, listen to me. You're not going solo on your leadership. You fall underneath the authority of a sovereign God. He determines how you are called to lead and to love and to, and, and, and to set the example and to care for your family and to lead your wife spiritually. You know, I love what, what one woman said about biblical headship. She said, if the man is the head, then the woman is the neck and she can turn him any way she wants. I love that, I love that. What is the passage talking about? Well, obviously it's talking about headship, authority, leadership. Let me just be really clear here. If there is no headship in the scriptures, which there is, if there's no headship, then as believers, we're going to tiptoe into egalitarianism, which says there are no distinct roles. Oh, come on. Okay, let me just, let me just give you one example. There are clear, distinct roles in the family. I'll give you a few. And I'm just going to put it on the men because we bear the, the weight of it all. Well, the weight of some of it. I said that wrong. But when I'm talking about weight, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about leading well. Okay. feel like I'm having to clarify myself here. I'm getting all kind of nervous. I'm starting to sweat up here a little bit. I'm getting really odd looks at, you know, people are, people are putting their notes away. They're closing their Bibles. They don't want to. Okay. So. What was I talking about? What was I talking about? Oh, wait, let me give you some examples. So, middle of the night, two in the morning, you're sound asleep. You hear a very loud noise in your house, like a door got busted down or a window got totally destroyed. Who should be the first one to get up and check on the noise? The wife. The wife. Right? There's been a few times I'm like, hey, babe, you want to check on that? You want to you get to that, babe? It's fine. It's probably the kids, you know. No, a husband, what, what do they do? They step up to the plate. They assume the responsibility. 
you know what? There might be a, a burglar in my house, and i got to take them down. They get up out of bed in the dark, and then they start locking the bedroom door, and then they, they don't leave, right? They just, no. No, you, you step up to protect. Another example. Husbands are called to provide for their family. Husbands are called to make sure that the needs of their family are taken care of. There are distinct roles within the family structure that God has designed. And the way I see it, based on Scripture, I see it as a beautiful thing. Because there are some amazing, beautiful, wonderful things that my wife does that I could never do. Like, I could never care for our kids the way she cares for our kids. I love my kids, but I, I got to go to work. I, baby, you, you know, I mean, there's something about the tender love and affection of a mom. A mom that is, her love is fierce towards her kids. A, a mom that is always there. Doesn't matter how crazy life gets, the mom is there. The mom is ready. The mom is there to help. And so the Bible clearly defines distinct roles. Um, the Bible doesn't flesh out all the details of what a marriage ought to look like, but it does give us principles. And these principles help us to understand how the, the family unit is supposed to be structured. The text that we just read says that the head of Christ is God. Now, when I read that, were you like, what does that mean? Does that mean that Jesus is inferior to God the Father? Absolutely not. Philippians 2, 5 to 8. Have this mind amongst yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So I want you to notice this. Jesus chooses to submit to the Father. But yet at the same time, he's co-equal, he's co-eternal, equal in power, equal in glory, equal in Worth, someone say worth. Equal in worth, equal in power, equal in glory. So wives, when you, based on scripture, when you submit to your husband, you are playing, this is important, you are playing the Jesus role in your marriage. Like Paul says, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now, let, let me, let me, Talk about submission real quick. I'm just going to gloss over this real fast. Submission is not being inferior because Jesus wasn't inferior or less important. Actually, the Apostle, Paul, the, the Apostle Peter says that your wife is a joint heir of the grace of life. It, it doesn't mean a lack of equality. It doesn't mean being second class. It doesn't mean being oppressed. Husbands are called to honor their wives. So you're not supposed to be some dictator barking out orders. You know, our culture doesn't like the word submission because it's been abused. It's been misunderstood. Submission is a beautiful word. 
It literally means to place a rank under. We just talked about headship, authority, right? Structure. It's a term used in the military when a soldier was to submit to someone that had a higher rank. Submission, now this is really important. Submission is to your husband, not to another man. Submission, let me, let, me, let me take it up a notch. Submission is a voluntary act. Submission is something that is given, not required. Not, not, not required. It, it's given, it's not demanded. It's, it's a gift that you give as your husband is, now this is key, spiritually leading. Submission is about following the spiritual leadership of the man that God has placed um, as your husband. It's a choice between you and God. It's, it has more to do between you and, and God than you and your husband. Because First Peter talks about your submission, you find your, your hope and submission in, in, in relation to God. Now, this is not on your, your message notes, but I'm gonna throw it in, it's a freebie. First Peter 3, five to six. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Two things I wanna say. It is between you and God because the text says, this is how the holy women who hoped in their husbands, no, who hoped in God. Their hope was anchored to God. Their trust was anchored to God. They were, in essence, submitting to their husbands, but really submitting to the Lord. And then it says that Abraham, that Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Hey, ladies, you should try that today. Lord, where are you taking me to lunch today? Where are we going out to eat today, Lord? Right? I mean, just work it. All right. All right. Anyways, husbands, God calls us to be like Jesus in our marriage. The Bible says that, now, let me check the guys real quick. The Bible says we are to submit one to another. So if, if God calls your wife to submit to you, then God calls you to submit to your, to your wife at times. The Bible says that you are to play the Jesus role yourself. God calls us to love our wives, and here's the key word, like. Love your wives like Christ loved the church. Husbands, men, I'm speaking to myself and I'm speaking to you. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm trying to challenge us this morning. Are we loving our wives like Christ loved the church? Think about how Jesus loved the church. It was, a, it was an unconditional love. How did, how did he minister to those who were broken and those who, who needed forgiveness and grace, he was always kind and gentle and compassionate. Jesus had the greatest beef with the religious leaders because Jesus hated hypocrisy. But Jesus, he loved the church. He served the church. He, 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 he gave himself. He put, he put their needs oftentimes in front of his own. There would be a few times where Jesus would retreat and, and he would go spend time alone with the Father but he was always caring for the multitudes. He was always seeing the hurts and the needs and the brokenness uh, the, 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 in the sea of humanity around him. And that's a high calling. That's a high calling. Let me say this, guys. Your wife can't follow you if you're not leading. 
how can she truly follow you if you're not taking the mantle and saying, okay, I'm going to lead. You know, and, and I know some guys, as guys, we sometimes can feel kind of inferior. Well, what does it look like and how do I do that? It's, it's the little things. It's not, it's not even the big things. It's saying, you know what, as for me and my house, we're going to be in church on Sunday morning. You know, we're going we're gonna to give to advance the gospel. We're going to get our hands dirty. We're, we're going we're gonna to serve other people. We're, we're going to be in a community group. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna, we're gonna be a part of community where people know us and we know them. And we're going to spur each other on towards good works and, and to create this community that God intends for us to create within the, the context, the structure of a local church. It is our responsibility as men to lead our families. Ephesians 6.4, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So Jesus calls us to be a servant leader, to be a leader that is willing to sacrifice, to love, to show tender affection. We set the tone. As men, we need to set the tone in our homes we need, to, we need to take the burden and, and the weight of spiritual leadership upon us and, 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 and not be passive. You know, Adam and Eve in the garden, Adam's first sin, he was passive. Adam knew exactly what he was supposed to do, but he, he, he tried to, you know, relegate it, delegate it out, right? He, he tried to blame Eve. He was just passive about the spiritual leadership that was upon him, why is it so difficult to be the, the spiritual leader? Because it's so humbling. It, it reveals inadequacies. It, it reveals um, inner spiritual thoughts and struggles. You have to acknowledge that you're in submission to a higher authority. How do we lead our families? How should we lead our families? It's the simple things, man. We need to be the rock a rock for our families. We need to love our wives. We need to be faithful to them. I mean, we, we live in a culture where, you know, marriage and faithfulness is just, it's just very, just, it's like an afterthought. It, it, it's, it's, you know, a lot of Christians, you know, they, if, if the marriage is, is, is not great, you know, if, they, if, they're not, if they're not feeling it, then they're, they're, they're jumping ship, they're out. Because to them, they place a higher premium on happiness, their own happiness than their own holiness. And God wants us, yes, God wants us to be happy, to find our joy in him, but ultimately he wants us to be holy. The salmon nearly leaped onto their hooks. That was a far cry from the day before when the four anglers couldn't even seem to catch an old boot. Disappointed but not discouraged, they had climbed aboard their small seaplane and skimmed over the Alaskan mountains to a pristine, secluded bay where the fish were sure to bite. They parked their aircraft and waded upstream where the water teemed with ready-to-catch salmon. Later that afternoon, when they returned to their camp, they were surprised to find the seaplane high and dry. The tides fluctuated 23 feet in that particular bay, and the pontoons resisted or rested on a bed of gravel. Since they couldn't fly out till morning, they settled in for the night and enjoyed some of their catch for dinner, then slept in the plane. In the morning, the seaplane was adrift, so they promptly cranked the engine and started to take off. Too late, they discovered one of the pontoons had been punctured and was filled with water. The extra weight threw the plane into a circular pattern. Within moments from liftoff, the seaplane 
careened into the sea and capsized. Dr. Phil Littleford determined that everyone was alive, including his 12-year-old son, Mark. He suggested they pray, which the other two men quickly endorsed. No safety equipment could be found on board. No life vests, no flares, nothing. The plane gurgled and submerged into the blackness of the icy morning sea. Fortunately, they all had waders, which they inflated. The frigid Alaskan water chilled their breath. They all began to swim for shore, but the riptide countered every stroke. The two men alongside Phil and Mark, father and son, were strong swimmers, and they both made shore, one just catching the tip of land as the tides pulled them out towards sea. Their two companions last saw Phil and Mark as a disappearing dot on the horizon, swept arm in arm out to sea. The Coast Guard reported they probably lasted no more than an hour in the freezing waters. Hypothermia would chill the body functions and they would go to sleep. Mark with a smaller body mass would fall asleep first in his father's arms. Phil could have made the shoreline too, but that would have meant abandoning his son. Their bodies were never found. Why is it that as men, we are willing to give our life for our, our wives and our kids, but oftentimes we're not willing to truly live for our wife, our wives and our kids. God calls us to love him with the supreme committed love. God calls us to lead our family spiritually. Let's rise up. Let's rise up as a generation of men and let's lead our families well. Let's love God with great passion and fervor and fire. And let's ask God to bless our, our families, our lives, our marriages, so that we could display the gospel to a lost and hurting world. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you, Lord, for this high calling that you've called us as men to aspire to. Lord, help us to understand your heart for the family. Lord, I, I pray that you would press down heavy conviction upon, upon any hearts in the room, upon these men that maybe have abandoned the post. And they've just allowed their, their wife to be the spiritual leader. Oh God, I pray that you would move and work in our hearts this morning that we would rise up as men and, and we would love you, God. We would truly love you, God, with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our might. Father, we know that it begins with us. It begins with our heart. Help us, God, to, to know you. Help us, God, to pursue you. Help us, God, to chase after you to chase after your heart so that we can know you in a very intimate way. And then, God, we can take that love that we've experienced from you, we could take that knowledge that we have of you from your word, and we would diligently teach those things to our kids. Oh, God, life is so short. Lord, we're going to blink and we're going to be with you. 
Help us, Lord, to redeem the time. Help us to be men, men that sacrifice it all for our wives. Lord, help us to passionately love and serve and discipline and guide and lead with conviction the kids that you've entrusted to our care. Lord, we are stewards of these kids. We thank you for the gift of our kids making us fathers today. Lord, help us to lead well. Help us to love our wives. God, we'll give you all the honor and all the praise. And we pray this in Christ's name. And all God's people said,